Welcome to Extra Musical, the podcast where we delve into the lives, thoughts, creative process, and hobbies of musicians and other creative artists. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, visit www.hiddencinemarecords.com slash podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast and everything else going on at HCR, become a patron at www.patreon.com slash hiddencinemarecords. Today, we're joined by Dr. Jason Cush. He's an acclaimed saxophonist, educator, and scholar based in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania region. He's performed as a leader, soloist, and ensemble member in a wide variety of musical settings in the United States, Europe, Central, and South America. For a full bio, you can visit our show notes on our site. But for now, let's get to the interview. Hi, Extra Musical listeners. Uh, You just heard a little bit about Jason Cush from our intro, but let's welcome him to the show. Hi, Jason. Hey, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks for uh, coming on the show. It's also nice to see you and to catch up right before we started recording. Always great to catch up. Uh, I feel like you and I could just talk for hours. Talk. I had hours to be like, yeah. oh wait, wait, yeah, we let's record. Let's that. Do this like twenty minutes, yeah. and I was like, wait, 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 we gotta, we gotta record a show. Um, <laughs> so for the people at home who don't know who you are, like, who is Jason Kush? What is your story? Where do you do? Where are you from? Where are you based? So um, that, that's kind of it. Could be a deep question. We could go <laughs> sixty minutes on that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, so I'm a saxophonist, um, I'm a music educator, uh, I'm a woodwind player, I'm a uh, composer, uh, I do a bit of arranging, um, I am a father, I'm a husband, uh, homeowner, um, <laughs> all that stuff, and I live north of uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, and I'd say what I am is a, a combination of, of all those things, uh, mainly uh between you know serving my family my two kids uh, who are right now are nine and eleven um, and being a good husband um, living my faith and uh, and music you know and music is is a sort of the pie in itself like uh, uh, I do a variety of things in music I'm a passionate teacher I really think it's important to uh, pass things on um, of course it's great employment um, but yeah. it's also important to um, pass on what has been given to me. And that's a lot of my motivation for doing what I do is just just passing it on to the next thing. And, of course, performing is the fuel for all of the music fire. Um, that's what got me into this. Um, years and years ago, um, as a young kid, listening to my dad's records um, with him, not by my choice, just it was stuff that was on <laughs> in the background. And I just loved it. I mean, he had some Steely Dan records, uh, Stevie Wonder, um, you know, like Chicago and some of that horn band type of stuff. Uh, Heard a lot of Blood, Sweat and Tears. Um, uh, Chuck Mangione uh, was actually a a big early influence. Uh, Chris Vidala, the saxophone player with that group. Yeah, I didn't know that Chris Vidala played with uh, Chuck Mangione. Yeah. Rest in peace to that guy. I always wanted to meet him. Absolutely. I lived near where he was based in. Yeah. Oh, right. Wow. I was I was fortunate to get one lesson with him, a multi-hour lesson with him, many 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 almost twenty years ago. Um, but yeah, he was kind of like the first saxophone sound that I just was like, man, that's that's like the instrument, that's the sound, like that's that's it. Uh, so although you know Chuck Mangione doesn't have huge popularity with you know the the kind of straight ahead jazz scene, um, yeah. that those <laughs> records 
um, and all that pop. I always loved uh, that pop music my, that my dad played from, you know, from the sixties and seventies and saxophone is such an integral solo instrument in those groups and the horn sections too. Um, so that's where I got, got all my start for doing that kind of stuff and, and wanting to do everything I could on the saxophone um, learning that, Oh, saxophone's used in classical music. And okay, there's like contemporary stuff. And then there's like small group jazz and big band jazz and playing mm-hmm. lead alto and playing tenor and, you know, blowing some berry in a, like a horn section thing and all that stuff um, was just of interest to me. So being able to pursue anything saxophone wise has uh, sort of fueled the fire for uh, the professional uh, performance side of what I do. So, I mean, it's really cool that like it's this multifaceted, thing for you in your mind and it's not just this i don't know relatively simple thing because a lot of people might think of it as like i just do the saxophone thing rather than like oh no it's the sound of the saxophone it's performing the saxophone it's having these like these sonic mentors that you might not have studied with or like met all the time but like you know when you are you know of and and appreciate and then like the the teaching part of it where it's like two sides you said the the ability to to pass it on like kind of the responsibility and want to pass it on that's right like two different things because i mean like some people have the ability to pass it on but not the don't feel like they need to be responsible for it or the right. other side that have the responsibility but not necessarily the ability so it's like cool that you're you're kind of um and encompassing all of that because um you're you're the professor at slippery rock university and i know that uh, a lot of the things that i've seen out of that program uh under your leadership have like been really really well or gone really really well so it's like cool that that you get Thank to you. do that yeah 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 so uh, i was a slippery rock student i was a slippery rock grad of 2004 and um uh, i studied with terry Steele there i studied with terry Steele in high school as well um, where'd you go to high school are you from I went, the West i'm Pennsylvania? from johnstown oh okay uh, which you know is about 70 miles east of pittsburgh uh, so I used to, my parents at that point actually would drive me up to Slippery Rock, which was two hours each way for a lesson with Terry Steele. And um, like many of our music and arts teachers, we connected in ways beyond just his pedagogy and music, but we talked a lot about life and philosophy and uh, religion. And uh, I don't know, just became sort of connected at the soul more than just, okay, he's a great saxophone teacher. He's got great students. He gets good results. Um, so that sort of made it an easy choice for me to go to Slippery Rock because I just wanted to continue that relationship with him uh, on a deeper level. So and actually, without the four-hour drive. That's right. <laughs> and I, I only applied at Slippery Rock. Um, I just knew that I wanted to be under his wing. And uh, now I have the job that he had at that time. So I actually have a combination of his job and uh, Steve Hawk's job, which was uh, oh, yeah. Steve was the professor of trumpet. And a variety of things, among which were he headed the jazz ensemble um, and did great things with the jazz ensemble, started the jazz festival, district jazz festival, um, high school jazz festival, um, touring, recording, doing all those things. So um, he really set up a trajectory for where that program was going to go. So whenever I eventually fortuitously got this job, it was easy to just sort of stay on the rails uh, okay, I'll take back the word easy because it's it doesn't these things don't happen automatically. Of course, right. it's a ton of work. But there was like motivation too. That's right. We had yes, yeah. We had some um, we had some inertia with it. You know, it was it was already mm-hmm. going inertia. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're getting um, scientific. 
and I'm, uh, you know, really thankful to him for, for doing that and setting that up. And also learned uh, just a ton from Steve Hawk and from Terry Steele and Steve Hawk, uh, you know, learning how to rehearse a big band and get, uh, get people motivated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I find is the, um, is the big thing. Actually, I would take back the word motivated and then say inspired. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's like the word I use with, with teaching. I think like basically anybody can learn if they're inspired. Yeah. So if they're inspired, they're going to become their own best teacher. They're going to be seeking knowledge. Uh, if a student is not inspired and they're just there because of some external reason, like they just sort of, uh, you know, just kept going from high school because it felt like the natural thing, but they're not really inspired to work, then they're, it's, it's going to be really uphill. Uh, but if you're taking a student who's inspired and you're just sort of steering the boat, you know, then yeah, you but they're can, doing the the rudder. No, wait, that the rudder is the steering. They're the motor beyond yeah, for their own learning. Yeah, yeah. Then they can they can uh, guide themselves through, especially today with with all the resources that we have. But um, so the the key thing I think is trying to get that inspiration. So Steve was good at inspiring. Uh, he sp- set up a lot of things for us. Uh, we would go down to Manchester Craftsman's Guild like all the time oh, cool. uh, with either free tickets or um, heavily, heavily discounted like $10 tickets uh, that, you know, Marty Ashby was setting up at that time and still continues to do. Uh, also, you know, bringing a lot of artists to campus, whether they were just like they had a concert that evening and Steve would bring them up for just like a an hour clinic. I remember they brought up Claudio Raditi one time, uh, which is so cool to have like this legend uh, there with a, that's and that's one name out of many many that we would have. I mean, and you uh, still kind of continue that tradition today because I unfortunately didn't get to like see a lot uh, of the jazz program under uh, Hawk's leadership. I just like I think I'd seen one performance because he when, when did he um, retire from Slippery Rock? Two thousand thirteen. Uh, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah I was on. There. I was in Greensburg, Pennsylvania at the time, so I wasn't making it up there a lot. But when I got to Youngstown in 2015, that's when I started coming to your jazz festivals, and I was like, "Yo, not only is this college big band tight, but like they get really good people to come out here." I think uh, I'm trying to remember what year Troy Roberts was. I I remember Sean 16, Jones was, 16 uh, for Troy Roberts. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's just like it's it's crazy the 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 people that. Um, that you're available to get for an inspired population of students, you know? Yeah. yeah. We've been very fortunate. Um, yeah. And again, Steve teed that up um, and we just sort of tried to grow it as much as possible. We have a good amount of support on campus um, in our department, our Dean right now, um, our student government association, you know, makes that happen. But it's also because of the, I think we, we get some good treatment because of the success of the program. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm super excited. I I don't have. Uh, I wish I could announce it right now, but I don't have, <laughs> I don't have the, uh, the 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 ink on the paper yet. But we got uh, two uh, really, really, really top artists um, locked in for one for the fall in November, and then one for the jazz festival. Well, that means uh, everyone needs to like keep their uh, eyes out for any uh, announcements for jazz at the rock. I believe that's the social media for Slippery yeah, Rock Jazz, that's right? It. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um like in outside of like Slippery Rock, um, do you you also like perform and release your own music? There was a project that you released this past May, April? March. 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 This past yeah. March called Finally Friday. Yeah. Um that was a court 
quartet record with um, right. a great Pittsburgh based as a quintet. Quartet, that's correct. Oh yeah, a, qu- uh, a great quartet record with um, a Pittsburgh based people. It was um, you on tenor, Alton Merrill on piano, Jeff Grubbs on bass, and David Glover on drums, who's also one of your colleagues. That's right. right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what was that project like? What was like putting that together? Like the creative process behind that? Finally yeah. Friday, I thought was like a cover because like what a name that has to be a pop song. Like, <laughs> and then I yeah. did, and then it wasn't. Yeah, I know. And, uh, what's funny is that, um, someone mentioned to me like sort of after all of the, uh, you know, it was done. And like that, that's, that's what the title was going to be. It's one of the, uh, the tunes, you know, from the record. And then someone's like, that's so cool. Cause you know, like hashtag finally Friday. I'm like, yeah, it's almost like I designed that, but I, I did not. I can't. Oh, I thought, okay. I thought <laughs> I you were going to say, say I did. Yeah. 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 No, it was not uh, in that sort of way, but uh, yeah. So just talking about that project, um, it was actually, it was exactly two years ago. So it was like July of 21 and it was just time to finally um, step into more of an active leadership role mm-hmm. uh, with music. Uh, I've been a sideman on a lot of different bands and a lot of different projects over the years, which I love doing. And I, I, I just love playing other people's music, including yours. I would um, say you're a great side I, man. I, I don't think you should ever stop. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, I understand like active leadership role. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I, and, and just sort of not to just like, not like an egotistical way, but uh, of like playing my music and my, my choices, my stuff. It's, but it's just kind of like um, seeing what I can offer as a leader, as opposed to, you know, just someone who's, who's helping support other projects as well too. Um, and I think that that's, just a great piece of the pie to have. So I, I, I don't ever want to not be a sideman. Uh, I don't ever want to not be able to play in an orchestra or play in big ensembles, but uh, playing my uh, some of my own music and, and doing stuff that I'm passionate about um, is just sort of a bigger way to uh, uh, express like what I do, I think, you know, yeah. beyond being beyond playing a solo or playing in a section on someone else's music. Um, I just think it's, it's really interesting to think about playing on my music versus playing on say your music and how that's just like a different creative space for me. Like when you live in your, your, your music from the, like the composition notebook phase um, to like, it's on the stage and you've played that tune in front of like audiences 20 times and you're going to play it the 21st time um, versus like coming and doing a tour with you and like playing your music that I haven't been with since the very birth of it, that I like, it's, it's just such a interesting uh, dichotomy there. It is, it is different. The only thing that I like never get to experience though, is like, I'm rarely a side man. Like I think, uh, especially since I've moved, I've played uh, a lot like on other people's stuff when uh, projects and stuff when I was in Youngstown, um, but since I've moved, I would have to create a lot of opportunities that I would see. So like, I don't know when's the last time I played a gig that wasn't mine. Do you know what I mean? So That's like, cool. I'm, <laughs> well, it, it is, but like the times that I do, like I even split a big band, uh, bill with two other people 
and it just like made it so nice to like be a part of the rehearsal project process and it's like not my music and then like every yeah yeah so like it was like a, a sneak into that thought process of oh this is different it does feel different like it's yeah not only organizationally, but artistically, it's like, oh, like, what do they want? What is their idea for this? Uh, yeah, I like that. So, yeah, like- so, so in July 21, um, I was just that summer, I was just trying to put some time aside for writing more and taking um, some compositional ideas that I had and just trying to mold some stuff together um, mm-hmm. and get deeper into that process, which I, I just hadn't been in, um, you know, I took some comp classes and so forth in in school and grad school and did some projects for that and wrote a tune here and there, but, um, was not something I was like deeply engaged in. Like, just like you're going to learn the saxophone and get better at this. Like, how am I going to start developing in that way? Um, and one thing that I wanted to do was, uh, in sort of modeling, uh, I was thinking about Branford's group, mm-hmm. Branford Marsalis's group. You know, he's played with the same quartet now. I think with the exact group that he has right now, I don't know if it's like 12, 15, 17 years, same quartet. They don't do a gig unless it's that group for the most part. I'm sure there's a couple exceptions out there. But um, And then prior to that, when Jeff Tane Watts was in the group, it was like another 15 years back. So they really kind of learn each other musically. Um, They don't just play Branford's music. They play... Uh, it's his quartet, but you know they play some standards, some old tunes, some compositions by different players in the group. But I just love that that they had this like, um, this this you know core group that that just knew the music really well. They they I've heard that they know each other really well as friends, um, and I just like kind of wanted to model that. So the idea, and I didn't see that happening in Pittsburgh that much, as far as like uh, you know a sol- solid instrumentation uh, yeah. pers- personnel. You know, yeah. and it's hard to do when the, when there isn't like a ton of work. I mean, right. I'm not I'm not going out and doing tours with 40 dates. You know, I don't have a lot of employment to offer people. But uh, yeah, getting uh, Alton and Jeff and David, um, and that's those are the musicians that I wanted. I kind of hit the jackpot when they were able to do the first couple, and it's like the the group sort of gelled into that. So now when I'm booking, um, you know, I'm really trying to. I actually check schedules before. Yeah, like it's like whole yeah. dates and stuff. Where it's like I want yeah. three I as want much as four. possible. Yeah. As much as possible. Um, there there have been some recent exceptions. Um, and there's you know there's just such fantastic players in this region that uh, we can have some people step in. But when you you are able to get above the sheet music and mm-hmm. like people that have like I said played this tune twenty times, um, you know recorded the tune, done the whole thing. It's uh, it's like a deeper experience. That's what yeah, I'm I mean, like, seeking. I think it can't be understated that the amount of time, like, with a group is is really important on any level of instrumentation. Like, I've heard large ensemble leaders like Maria Schneider talk about how they eventually stop writing for uh, ten or one, and they write for Rich Perry. You know, mm-hmm. like I stopped writing for <laughs> for lead trumpet, and it's for this guy. Like, and then in the small ensemble, it's like even if you don't, you said you didn't offer a lot of employment. So it's like not to that level. I, I kind of disagree. I mean, like as long as it's repeated and like you get that camaraderie, that's not just on stage. Like it becomes a different thing. Uh, I, we had a couple of dates um, with a group I was leading that was just a week straight earlier this year. And like, 
it's so cool, especially in like a smaller setting to be like, oh man. So like, what are we talking about? What are we discussing? Blah, 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 blah. It's, 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 it's insane to, to, to get closer with people with music and without music over music. Yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, that's a relationship that I definitely appreciate. trying to stay creative or productive i mean because you're wearing many hats i mean even as a fa- as a father and as a as a husband i feel like uh, that can't be understated uh because a lot of the times you do have to coordinate around your children i can't remember what gig i was doing with you and you were like okay wait um my son has a lead in the musical mm-hmm. so i'm gonna I'll, I'll be there but i have to coordinate this time and this time and i was just like man that's like a that's a hat that is extremely important and that you can't just put down out of nowhere. How do you like stay creative and productive during all these times when you're switching between all these different roles? Um, I would say that um, for me, like uh, prior to us starting to record here, talking about the waves of life and uh, for me and like the academic year is a wave and, you know, like the, the easier part of the academic semester and then the, you know, the high, the high wave during the academic semester, like April, for instance, you know, when things like I'm out of the house almost every night for a rehearsal concert or a gig or something like that. And then, you know, May hits and things ease up a little bit. Um, I find that in the times when um, my teaching schedule is too high, like the creative, the creativity um, is like maybe inversely proportional. Mm -hmm. Um, So like in April, I'm not writing tunes in April. Um, but in May when that has passed and it kind of just flushes away, like, and I'm, I just have the space in mind to just sort of let creativity flow, um, as much as it can. Um, and in those times is when I try to, uh, allow that to just happen. Um, I, I don't know if it works this way for you, but I, I can't like say, okay, cool. I've got these three days. Um, I'm going to write some tunes those days. And sometimes <laughs> like we want to do that and that's what maybe our intention, but if like the, the feeling isn't there um, or your heart isn't there, or your mind is consumed by other things or worries or um, personal stuff or whatever, then it's just not going to go there. I always think about those, um, those staff writers for like the old radio show, like NBC. Yeah. Radio show, I was like writing, 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 writing all the time. And of course they're they're That muscle for them is like, they're working out all the time. So the muscle's always there. My muscle, as far as like the writing end of things, I, I wouldn't say is always there. 
Um, but the saxophone side, that is something that is, is more constant for me. Especially like being creative in your practice and like, yeah. learn, like in your technique development. I yeah. mean, the, with the, I do think about that staff writer thing all the time where it's like, hi, I'm Fletcher Henderson and I just need to, I need charts. And it's like, this is, it'd be crazy to be like Mercer Ellington and the Duke Ellington and Billy just like writing a whole, but I read in Billy's, um, like uh biography is um that someone did of him that him and mercer ellington like locked themselves in a hotel room this one time because they needed x amount of charts in a week and it was like insane and it's like how i don't know i feel like at that time there you're, you're right the muscles not only flex but like it's it's like if you had a carpenter who could make really really good chairs but also really quickly versus like the apprentice just trying to make the best chair possible. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's not a muscle that it's necessarily easy to keep um, yeah. in, in shape. Yeah. I think, I mean, for me, it's like, I just have to, and I look forward to those times when that's going to be there. But one thing, and you, you sort of touched upon this uh, for me is like, is creative practicing. Um, and that's something I encourage my students to, to do is to like, uh, and that, you know, that goes into improvising, which is obviously just like sort of composition in the moment. Um, but, you know, being able to, um, uh, create something every time you pick up the horn, you know, yeah. you're going to do long tones, like, cool, do your routine. That's great. But like, how can you like, you know, do something, you know, melodically with, with your long tones that are something you didn't do yesterday. Um, and then you're starting to go to that other side of the brain and then you're, you know, you're building up that that muscle. Yeah, a lot of the times my tunes actually come from those creative, especially small group tunes, um, come from that creative practice where it's like, oh, this is the uh, like the the patterns that I'm practicing, and oh, okay, well, this pattern sounds great this way. What if I flip it? Oh, that could be the beginning of a tune. Blah blah, blah. Mm-hmm. and then eventually, you're like, oh, hey, I have a tune, like. If I was practicing quasi chords, I think one of my tunes that I have is like quasi chords, and it's like, oh, hey, I was practicing that, and that's how that came from there. So that that creative practice, I think, can lead to even like the creative writing. Absolutely, um, yeah. So for me, I mean, I unlike you, you've you've like so accomplished as a composer, um, and have done so much, and what I see as such. a a a small amount of time um but for me like it's a it's a nice oasis almost it's like in the same building as the horn but not the same room you know um where i'm like in the music space but the composition is like it's separate thing i feel like we spend different times in the same building (laughs) where i'm like in that i'm like in the composer spot like all right i gotta go to that horn room soon (laughs) yeah right yeah yeah, so um, it's so much fun. I mean, and I think like my approach to composing is similar to my approach to improvisation in that, like, I'm trying to be creative, but I'm also not necessarily trying to reinvent the wheel. Mm. So there's like so many great things out there to model. But, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I'm never going to sound like Michael Brecker as far as like exactly like him. Uh, but if I try and sound close, then that's great but i'm never i'm always going to sound like me and i'm never going to sound exactly like him or whatever player you yeah uh, mentioned and i think i mean it probably sounds cliche to say that that sounds like something you'd say in a master class but i think i didn't really accept that 
um, until maybe I was like my early thirties, you know, um, thinking about that, but the same thing with compositions, like, Oh, I love this tune. I love this tune. Like I want to, I want to play this tune. So I play this tune, play it with my band. And I'm like, maybe I could like do a tune that's like, has the features of this that I like, but yeah. And then, and then you, it's like kind of copying a solo an improvised solo. Like if you played an improvised solo, you wouldn't like play it verbatim and it might sound sort of like it, but it's not going to sound identical. And so that's where I, uh, that's kind of, that's been a, uh, a launch point for some of my compositions is like, okay, I love this tune. I like this part of the tune. I'm going to steal that. And then it's like, ah, but change this, change this, uh, add a bar or, Oh, let's make, take this up a minor third. And then by, you know, by the time you're like halfway done with it, it's not even resembling. What yeah, it doesn't sound problem. anything like yeah. what your inspiration for. There's um that one uh, Chris Potter record, Gratitude. Yeah. Uh, where like every tune is dedicated to like a different saxophonist or composer. And it's like, you you maybe see the ideas sometimes, but I'm I I I have to think that he sat down and did the same type of thing, and like I, I don't think I've not done that either in in certain instances. It's like a great way to like get inspiration is, but oh sure. hey, I'm inspired by this person and their and their playing and their and their writing. So like, what can I do to not only practice like emulating them, but to like be them in my own sound to like pay homage to them yeah. by being yeah. me. Yeah. We do we do it in improvisation. Like we, we copy lines, we play the lines in twelve keys, we you know, analyze the solo. Um we do all that. So I mean uh, having like feeling like a novice in composition because I haven't had like the classes and the degree and like all that focus on it. Uh, I feel like I'm learning it in a different way. But um, you know, we had John Clayton at Slippery Rock talking about those guests that we had and um and we have them in and it's it's all for the students, obviously. But the, the the truth is I get so much out of spending time with them. Like when I pick them up at the airport from, you know, and, and then have that like 50 minute drive up to Slippery Rock and that time and the conversation in the car. And I actually have a lot of good, good lines from John Clayton when he was there. Um, but the one tune we did of his, of course, I can't remember the title of it, but in pre- preparing is like, wow, this tune is like very close to uh, the Quincy Jones tune, Robot Portrait. And so I asked him about it. He's like, oh, yeah, that's what it is. He said, <laughs> he said, it's a perfect big band chart. So I transcribed the big band chart in, like, I just transcribed it. I, you know, the form, the form is perfect. Everything's perfect. Down to, like, even, like, the falls and all that stuff. He's like, so I just did, like, my tune that's that tune. Yeah. And I was like, you can do that? <laughs> cool. It's like, I don't have to reinvent the wheel to, like, do something that's, you know, mine. I mean, do we really own anything? We just, nah. we just I like, mean, you know, it's just passed down. Wasn't you know? that like performance practice anyways? And like the Baroque era and go. like the classical era. It's like, yeah, I just like study a whole bunch of people's stuff. And then I emulate that. And then eventually I find my own method and yep. do the thing my way. But it's like that sometimes is not as obvious <laughs> as like, as as improvisation like improvisation when you come to it they're like this is the performance practice and then like i mean score study is a part of it but not like outright not cut paste change but more like idea cut paste 
or like form cut paste or setting cut paste and then put your idea in that context. Yeah. Uh, cut, like, I don't know if people explain it like that all the time. So it's like, <laughs> that's performance practice of all this. That's why you score study. Not so that you can do something completely new. It's something that you can do something exactly like that or it's extremely similar. Yeah, you know, I, uh, like I said, it took me like into my 30s to be able to accept that. You know, I think like, there's like this marination of life that like it just takes a while to let concepts come in. Like I remember uh, prior to that, just feeling like, um, you know, some reticence to have my own project out there because I feel like anything I, even my first record, my duo with Billy Tess, which I, I remember uh, you checking out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I came to one of the, I think he was, that was like 2015, 2014. Yeah. 14 probably. Yeah. 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 yeah that came out. Intersecting lines, or something yeah, like that. yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, that's well, it. yeah. I try and remember everything that yeah, I listen to for the. It's it's like to the left of me somewhere, but in my know, little collection. That being my first record, I I just like felt like felt like everyone on earth was going to hear that, and like it better be perfect. And then you realize, like, okay, not that many people are going to hear it, <laughs> and they're not going to listen through all the tracks, and they're you're going to be lucky if they hear it. And yeah, so right. Just, and it's just someone said to me, it's just like it's just a snapshot of you musically, like in that moment. It's a uh, sonic photograph. It's like yeah. literally it's just like the art piece of right then. And like I love that description. Like when people say that, I can't remember where the first time I heard it. I think I heard it at an Isjack conference in 2017 where they're like, Yeah, it's just a sonic photograph of you right yeah. then. So and like I, if you don't like it, do another one. I think that's a it's a I don't know. It's like like not getting any photos taken like of a certain period of you because you're like, oh, I'm, I don't want to know. Um, I might not like that later in life, but you know, I think as an artist, like we got to be like okay with it. I mean, and that's not to say that someone who uh, hasn't done their homework yeah. should like be be doing projects and like, well, this is my thing. I'm like, well, you know, I think there's there's some gray line there, but uh, being able to work really hard and accept what. Uh, what you come out with. Like I, I'm, I'm more able to accept me now than I, I think I ever have been. Even with this record, it's like, I'm not Branford. I'm not Chris Potter. I'm not, you know, I'm not Brecker. I'm never going to be. <laughs> because My, I'm me. Yeah. Right. And it's like, I don't have to be like, like, you know, thinking like, am I as good as them? Well, yeah, that's an easy, <laughs> I'm not, but you know, I just gotta <laughs> like, I just gotta like be me and do me and like and and you know your friends will support you and your um you know I think if you're honest with with what you do musically then then it's gonna be supported and if it's not then you know it's still your expression but I think there's some line there too like with providing some music that uh, is is both your expression but something that has some uh that's a big debate maybe so yeah I, so, I, you know, <laughs> I don't know if you want to go there. Yeah, it was like just putting out the commercial product for the commercial product is yeah. That seems, that's, versus versus the pure art music that no one really wants to hear and it's fun to make. Yeah, you know that. I always view those those meters like the or the mm-hmm. the it's like the uh, it's like the uh, the the triangle of a good gig where it's like uh, you'll never have three but you're looking for two. two. Uh, yeah. Was it a good money, good hang, good music? Yeah. Or it's like you're not gonna have three of them. And if you do, it's the perfect gig. Yeah. <laughs> but if you have two of them, it's an okay gig. Like, 
uh, looking for that when it comes to your commercial product. Is it like musically fulfilling? Does it sound like adequate to your representation of yourself? Like, and it's really weird when you're in the process. I don't know if you felt like this when you're making Finally Friday, but like when you immediately listen back to things and you're just like, what am I doing? Why do I do this? And then like weeks later, you're like, oh yeah, no, this is great. I don't know why I was like yeah. harsh on it. Months, months. Uh... <laughs> Man, it's good to be back in Cleveland. For over three decades, the Bop Stop has served as the home of jazz in Cleveland, featuring everyone from up and coming local talent to the legends of jazz. I'm Daniel Peck. Join Gay Pollock and me weekly as we bring you an hour of live jazz directly from our stage on Live at the Bop Stop. But people around the country know how great a club this is. New episodes of Live at the Bop Stop are available every Monday at noon on your preferred podcast provider. I remember I was just talking to a friend who's working on uh, mixing their record that's about to come out and talking about how like you get your, your, your head so far into that project that you just hear everything in the mix and all this stuff. And then, and it's like, it just consumes you. And then you, you hear the next mix and it's like, uh, it's like, you're you're getting down to like quarters of decibels. You're right. uh, You know, and, and then, but somehow magically like some time passes and you're, you still hear some of those things, but it's a, you can actually get away from it and actually hear like hear hear the total project rather than like being so far into it. It's cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm grateful to have, have done that on now. You know, I've had three records out, um, to th- that type of, of thing. Oh wait, you have yeah. three. What's your third one? Is yeah. It, what, so my second, second record is, um, is the Hinema Sonata for saxophone. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. So a classical record. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's just, it's basically an EP. Uh, I did it with uh, Liana, Liana Palate Horon, who's a, a Georgian pianist. She lives in New York City now, but uh, she's fantastic. And the, the Hindemith is like the piano part is ferocious. Well, I mean- it's saxophone heavy. saxophone yeah. pieces in general. I yeah. remember at YSU they had uh, uh, Diane Yazbek was the collaborative pianist there. Uh, shout out to Diane if she ever listens to this. I never did, I didn't play classical saxophone, so like I wasn't okay. like performing with her. But I would just like just shift back and forth between watching the two, and it's like how who oh those those accompaniment parts for yeah. contemporary saxophone do not yeah let up. I'm trying to. How does the Hindu? I can't remember how the Hindu myth goes. Well, there's, there's, uh, it's multi movement, and there's, yeah, yeah. There's actually like a movement that's kind of blues. Um, yeah, it's just you know typical Hindu myth uh, uh, affair with you know big heavy chords, and you know it's it's cool. I like I like the melodies, you know, that are there. I um, think I have a Hindu myth like either composition or orchestration book that I like bought years ago. I was like, I'm going to make my way through this. And I never <laughs> did. So I need to, <laughs> I need to do that. I need to uh, go back and uh, learn some of Hindemith's like tricks and uh, then go listen to the Hindemith Sonata. Jason Cush edition. Oh yeah. Hey, um, so t- kind of going back a little bit here, I got some questions for you, some stuff I think about and want to know <laughs> your, your opinion on um, thinking about the record and and the purpose of the record um and i think that they can all be unique products projects 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 um but thinking about 
the record as a a work of art in itself, freestanding yeah. work of art, or something that's representing uh, a sampling of of the real thing. Because I, I I think for me, you know the for my group, I'd say if if is the real thing the record, or is the real thing coming to hear us play? Absolutely, without a doubt, it's coming to hear us play. Absolutely. Um, however, I, on on that session, you know, we had a, a discussion as a group, and it was like, do we want to keep things shorter, as you know, just to keep the tracks a little shorter, um, a little bit more consumable that way? And as I found out, you know. Uh, in the past, you know, since March about like radio play and, you know, needing some sort of tracks for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we decided that we were going to just kind of do what we do on stage, but maybe, maybe not quite that, <laughs> that stretched that out. Opened yeah. Up. yeah. And, you know, and I was thinking about uh, miles. There's some, I don't know, some I've watched all those miles uh, clips on YouTube with interviews. It's so fantastic. But uh, he's talking about the, the recording, the CD, the tape, the record is like a, a business card for the group. It's not. Yeah. He was saying at that time, I think it was in eighties. He was saying like, it's, it's just like a, it's just like a business card for the group. Like this is a sampling of what we're going to do live. Come here. Let's play live. Yeah, man. I think that's the, <laughs> no, really, no, really though. That's the thing. So I had to like stop myself. I'm like shouting out. Cause I do this thing where I, interv- I interrupt people a whole bunch, <laughs> but it's like, yeah, that's exactly it. Like, it's it's hard to i mean i don't even know if with with acoustic music specifically especially like things that aren't overdubbed excessively like so with some forms of popular music it's kind it's it's not the opposite but it is more 50 50 mm-hmm. where like it's hard to recreate you need so much more people on stage and like so much more like electronic help to recreate what you put on wax like live. So it's more so like, this is the thing. This is the song. This is the thing that you want to listen to over and over and over. And if you come hear us live, it might not be exactly the same. You might not like it because it's not similar or it might be like not subpar, but like underneath what you're sonically used to for, uh, for us. So like if you're listening to a pop person and like, they overdub a whole bunch of stuff and there's just like instrumental timbres that they can't replicate on stage, then like you might feel that way. But when it comes to like acoustic music, specifically jazz music or jazz influenced music, like that's just that solo. That's just that take like, and like because we're recording it, we're not stretching out a whole bunch like you would do live. So it's like, which was one of the reasons why people love live recordings, right? Like live recordings are like not closer. I mean, they they are the they are a different business card. It's like here's what we did live, yeah, and here's how we feel, and they usually feel completely different than the than the record that you heard of the same exact tunes. Like um, mm-hmm. we did uh, Elemental, my octet um, stuff. We did it again live and record, and like listening to those back to back, it feels completely different. Just like I don't know. It's it's like a business card, definitely of come see us live because that's where the art happens. It's improvisation, not like snapshot of one improv- improvisation. Like mm-hmm. you want to see us live, and you want to see us live multiple times to be like, man, I love the where it got taken today, or like I love the interaction that happened because it's never going to be the same. 
Like imagine, yeah, I I completely agree with that with that take on the purpose of records. It's like here's the project, and here is the artistic impetus behind the project, and we want you to be able to consume the project if you're not available to come see hear us live. But if you are, hear it then, know what you're about to get into, and come see us hear us live. Yeah, you know, why not? Yeah, I wonder. I wonder what other. I mean what other artists think about that too. Um, it's, I don't know. Like, for example, if you're thinking like a, a Maria Schneider album, it's like, there's a lot of, of stuff that goes into, I, I, I just don't think that she, she also thinks this isn't the work of art. Like, I feel like every record I've heard from her, it's like, this is the work of art yeah, and we can replicate it live mm-hmm. and it's going to sound different. Well, I mean, like every time I hear her, there are some things where the chart just goes different places than it does. Mm. Like, I, I, how many times have I seen her? Like three or four, and each time I'm just like, uh, "This sounds different." Than yeah, what that's I, great. What I would think. So it's like, I, uh, I don't know. I wonder what other people think about that. That's a great question. That'd be a good poll question. What do you think about that? Hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, I wonder what even some of like the top people like. Uh, well, what I would consider the top for me, Keith Jarrett is is one of my yeah. favorite artists. Like, period. Um, just wonder what he thinks about those records. Of course, of course, I guess a considerable amount of his uh, releases over the last twenty years have actually been they've just been live. Yeah, you know, they're they are live recordings. Yeah, um, maybe that's that, why too. I know he had some from the early two thousands. I think he just made it at his house. They were just like in his home studio and. Uh, just recordings of him playing there and like do those people necessarily have to worry about radio marketability and keeping things sure. short yeah like if you're at a certain level where you have a fan base and you know that like the the art is going to be consumed are you worried about marketing it as much and like having that shorter sound snippet as a single that can go out and blah sure. blah blah blah, blah. I- like I yeah. doubt that. I doubt, I don't I doubt so. Kenny Garrett's no. like, man, I got to keep this song under six minutes, probably around four. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I was checking out Joe uh, Lovano's recent record. I don't know if you heard it. I think it's with Trio Tapestry. Oh, no, uh, I heard. Um, uh, I saw him live the other month, but I don't remember what mm. it was. It was like his larger ensemble, but it oh. wasn't a large ensemble. Oh. Yeah, anyways, Trio Tapestry. Yeah, and it's like, uh, I was like thinking about the, you know, I gave so much consideration to the layout of the, the record too, you know, and that's, that's a thing as, as well. Like it used to be like you buy the record and like you put it on and the, the consumer's going to hear the first thing first. And now it's probably, they're going to, going to check that out. But if they find you on YouTube or wherever, you know, they might just find some track. And so yeah. you, they're not consuming the the set the way you like, you know, sought it to be. But uh, this, this record that he put out, the first track was very um, esoteric, extremely colorful, uh, like I mean, I was drawn in, but I was thinking, like, man, Joe, like Joe, Joe fans are going to listen to his stuff. He he doesn't have to consider no right. length, the length, the the you know the track order and all that kind of stuff. The other thing is, we saw uh, with Slippery Rock uh, Jasmine. We were just in Europe and we played at the Umbrio Jazz Festival and the Jazz of Juan uh, festivals, and it just so happened uh, that Brad Meldile's trio oh. and uh, Branford Marcellus's quartet played the night that we played. So in both cities, like 
five or six days apart. It was awesome. So we actually got to hear both of those bands, both of those nights. And Branford actually closed with a ballad. Um, that's and, that's a bold choice. And it was it was lengthy. Yeah. It was lengthy and it was so deep. And of course, that audience is like the best, greatest audiences in the world where they're like at the edge of their seat and they're just listening to every nuance. And um, of course, you know, he, you know, they played uh, an encore, which was uh, the Olio one of the nights. And then another night was uh, like a trad jazz New Orleans tune that I, I didn't know the title of, which was fantastic. He brought the house down. But I was just thinking, man, Branford can like play a ballad and just have people just sitting on the edge of their seat, not like watching their watch to see when the set's over. But yeah. <laughs> like, man, this guy's like, that's, that's the, that's a pinnacle. That's, yeah. you know, play a 12 minute ballad and have people just like wanting more. <laughs> I There was this um, saxophonist um, that uh, we were playing, that was playing with uh, one of my groups the other month. And we had to, so he's, he was 20 on the tour. Right, he was subbing in for Tim Green, and um, he's playing on Tim's tune, and like he was doing that, like he was like, and we had to explain him, like, do you know that you're doing that? Like, it is like to have people like drop a dime and just like listen to you play is like a completely different feeling than just like I'm going for it. Like, you're not, you're not just going hard, you're going musical, and they're just like everyone's there with you it's great and like the the experience of that both as the listener and like as a part of the performance even if i'm not playing yeah like right. feel like two different things but it's just like crazy to be on stage and like look at him and then look out at the people just like like a gape mouth yeah. agape and like yeah. i would want to see i've never seen branford marsalis live so i like i want to experience the only uh, time one of the times i was like that was um the Chris Potter masterclass at, uh, at blue jazz. Um, have you, were you there? No. Oh my God. Did that, uh, that, uh, Cherokee and all 12 key and quote all 12 keys, but he like yeah. skipped a key. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was just like, my mouth was open and I was just like, it seemed yeah. like it was just like two minutes long. And then you <laughs> go back and listen to it and you're like, Whoa, that was long. That's uh, insane. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Uh, that's cool that you got to see them twice, though. Yeah. Yeah. Same group, right? Yeah. Same group. Um, yeah. Same instrument, same uh, personnel. And yeah, just hearing how the music was, you know, was, you know, just took different, different forms. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I Bradford mean, actually awesome. played a Keith Jarrett tune from the, uh, from the album Belonging, um, which is one of my favorite records um, from the European Quartet. A mid seventies record. I was like, I sprung out of my. I can't believe Branford's playing this this tune. So I mean, it's nice to know like the contemporaries of each other. Like, yeah, just love each other's love each other's music. Yeah, and, like yeah. if you ever hear them talk about each other too, they're just like, oh man, I want to be like that guy. I love their. <laughs> I love the way they write and I love the way they play. And then they turn around and say the same thing about the other person. And then you're sitting there like, I just want to be like both of you or either of you. Like. <laughs> Like you guys are both amazing, but I think it's hard for. I mean, even when like when I listen to you play, I'm just like, man, Kush is just so like, oh, I don't want to play like that guy and blah blah blah. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, you know, I got some stuff to work out. I'm just like, oh, let me go home. <laughs> it's just this. It, I think it's a cool feeling of of knowing that everyone else appreciates everyone else's musicianship and also knows that they 
just want to continue learning and aspiring for more musically, though whether it's like more ways to express themselves or more sonic colors and palettes to use. Like it's great that people are just always moving towards adding rather than, uh, I don't know, staying stagnant. Yeah. Yeah. You know, actually, um, conversation I think had often, uh, and I had with two students recently, actually it was a recent student, a recent graduate that was, it's maybe been out for like five years and then a current student and talking about progress and, and plateauing and being frustrated and, uh, wanting more. And I, I just, I kind of chuckle and be like, well, like, welcome, welcome to the, to the life. That's, yeah. that's it. And you see that, I think, uh, all the way to the top, you know, when I, uh, in high school, uh, I got to meet, uh, James Moody. Um, uh, I got to meet Sonny Rollins oh, wow. and they both in the very quick conversations that I was very, very fortunate to have with both of them. They were both saying, yeah, still, still working on some stuff. Still got to, try the stuff I want to do that I'm working on getting my playing and I'm just, you know, continuing. And that, you know, at that time I should have known more that, that, you know, the, the journey, uh, is the whole thing, you know, the, yeah. it's, it's, there are these little, little stops along the way, but I think it's hard for younger people to realize that, especially in, um, in the jazz idiom when you're learning, uh, to improvise, or we'll say improvised music, uh, complicated improvised music, um, where you know you you do get to these different spots, but the the there's no destination. It's you got to enjoy the journey. It's and like it can, that continual road trip, and those albums or whatever or snapshots. Like it, it, it doesn't matter. It, it matters that you took a picture there at the Grand Canyon. You can remember it, but like. Being at the Grand Canyon was the thing. Like going to the Grand Canyon, the excitement for the Grand Canyon, being at the Grand Canyon, reminiscing about the Grand Canyon, and then planning the next thing that you're going to. Those are all part of it. It's not just the picture that you took. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just, uh, I don't know, being comfortable with the journey and, and working through the plateaus. I think a lot of people are like, I feel like I'm doing all the right things. And I think that's why also you have uh, a limited amount of, of, uh, jazz musicians and improvisers uh, as compared to people that just play uh, music that's written, you know, the, the literacy folks, yeah. um, because I feel like that's so much more tangible for, for meeting that as opposed to developing this language to be able to use. And then, you know, talking about even getting up on stage and uh, it's like, I practice all this stuff. I feel good. I'm recording myself. Good. I get up on stage. I feel like I've taken couple steps back and I'm like, welcome to the club. And I'm president. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, you know, um, it's a great quote that Terry Steele passed on to me from slide Hampton. That was at slippery rock, um, in the nineties at some point. And someone said, you slide, like you've played all around the world. You played every venue, you played every festival, you played with all of the best jazz musicians in the world. Like what would you say was maybe like the best moment of your playing? And he, without hesitation said, I don't remember, but I'm certain it was in a practice room. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I don't and, remember, but it's probably in a practice room. Yeah, yeah I right. mean that's true. Like, and we gotta. I think we gotta be able to be accepting of that and just just keep going. I think that people that I, I'm hesitant to call it the game, but it kind of feels like a game. Like you, like you see some people drop off and they're not playing as much or whatever. It's it's uh, 
it's kind of, it's at times hard to keep going whenever you have, have the goals, like the people you want to, when there's Michael Brecker and uh, Chris Potter out there and you're like, Oh man, I'm in the same game as them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just keeping going and trying to enjoy your, your progress. um, Even though sometimes it's not, super apparent that you've had progress. Yeah. I mean, I do, I do resonate with that feeling. Like when you come off of a performance that you're listening to and you're just like so inspired, but also like, ah, poops, man, I'm supposed to be doing, I'm, I'm technically doing the same thing as them, which is not, but like, are we really like, yeah. The thing is, we're with ourselves at every moment we've ever played the saxophone. I've been with myself, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's an obvious statement, but, and you have heard me, I don't know, 25, 30 times, right? Yeah. And plus my record. Um, my band has heard me, you know, however many times, but I've heard me like every single time. So like, you don't, you don't feel those tiny increments of, of going forward and coming back and going forward and maybe coming back. Um, but like, yeah, that's, not, that's a reason to sort of keep going for, I don't know anyone. Who's I mean, that's a great, I don't know. I've never thought about it like that. That's a great way of, of phrasing it where it's like, yeah, you're, you're putting in the work, but for, I mean, then this can be for a lot of things like marathon, uh, pacing yeah, and, yeah. and like every time you're doing the thing, you're there, but like the other people that like are do it with you occasionally see the progress because they're not with you. And they're like, Whoa, Hey, you weren't able to do this last time, but maybe you've been able to do it for a while, but you haven't noticed it as progress, you know, like, yeah. I mean, and that's a, that's a great like educator thought that I'm sure you pass on to a lot of your students. And then I'm going to now start passing on (laughs) to to any students and uh, people that I come in contact with have the same like type of thought. Like if there was, so if there was anything, like uh, you could say to 18 year old Jason Cush or someone who wanted to do what you do as a saxophonist, as a composer, as a music educator, or even as like a person who balances all of this with being a great father and husband, what would be some of the advice that you give to them? Um, I think that staying flexible and staying open and staying, uh, uh, having faith, you know, in, in the process, um, even just faith in, in general, um, is, is a really, really important thing. Um, and knowing that what you want as an 18 year old is likely not what you're going to want as a 25 year old or 30 year old. Um, when I was 18, I was not sure 
that I wanted to have a family. Mm-hmm. I told people that I would never own a home, that I don't want to care for a home. I'm not doing that. Um, I would like to live in a city. I don't want to own a car. I want to just right, take public transit, pay rent. Um, you know, I was in love at 18 years old. I uh, was dating someone named Victoria, who oh, I now. Oh my uh, gosh, you guys are high school sweethearts. <laughs> yeah, we, we are. Um, oh. But you know, you never know uh, where those things are going to go. And I'd say that my 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 thoughts of all that stuff changed dramatically in 10 years, even though I was certain at 18 what right. my future was going to be and what I was going to do. Um, I think I stayed flexible. I stayed open to like opportunities. Um, and one bit of advice that I got, which I did and followed pretty well from uh, another one of my mentors, Mike Bodolowski, who is my uh, high school band director. I'm still very close with him. Talk to him um, usually once a week or so. Um, is to just take every single opportunity that you have uh, to play your instrument, you, in, especially when you're young. Um, you know, I did a lot of gigs that that I, I you know that didn't make financial sense. I probably I still do gigs that don't make financial sense, <laughs> but uh, uh, but doing gigs that you know that you just the value of experience is very very high, and that's not to say be taken advantage of because of your skills. Yeah. But um, the value of experience, especially when you're in that, I would say for me, it was like when I was 15, 16 years old, I started playing in a bar band that I played with like from when I was 16, 17 to 21, 22. Uh, You know, I played hundreds of gigs with this bar band. I made a fair amount of money. I always had always had cash. I didn't have to work uh, lots of hours in a part time job. Um, and gaining that experience was like really, really, really important. And doing a big band gig that I drove an hour each way and I got very little money for, but I met some people and uh, uh, I got just got some experience sight reading charts that I that yeah. were even illegible. Like they're oh my gosh, they're hard. You're nervous. You're surrounded by veterans. You're the only person in the band who hasn't played the music, and it's literally not legible. And maybe yeah, there's not the even enough charts. Yeah. Oh and, my gosh. And there's yeah handwritten charts, and maybe you forgot a stand light, and there's like so you like all everything is against you. You're describing the perfect storm of yes. like that that uh, that uh, repertory big band exactly. Uh, new yeah. Guy and you yeah. and you you grow tremendously from those. Like you can't buy that experience. You know, and I see a lot of people like, you know, like maybe they don't want to go out to a jam session or they don't want to, um, you know, do things to that. Like, oh, I got got too much to do. It's like, well, the, the opportunities are going to go to people who are like really going the extra mile and being out there. And the other thing is, too, I would say is, yeah, and I, I would say I've been pretty good at this is supporting uh, supporting your friends and supporting uh, local music in your projects and getting out there and being a consumer just as much as you are being, yeah. uh, you know, and you do that. I love, I love that about you. Um, you know, supporting oh, your thanks. friends coming out, like buy buying a record, you yeah. know, maybe that, that CD doesn't ever get un- unwrapped, but you, uh, <laughs> you're supporting your friends. You're cause you've listened to it on streaming. So, but you, you know, um, you're doing that to support support the community, and as a member, you're a member of that community. You're you're deeper in it rather than just like taking for yourself. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like you're you're adding to the well that that you're also drinking out of. 
you're adding to the well that you're also drinking out of. That's a good, I mean, that's a great way of thinking about it because really there's, if ever, if everyone did that, there'd be plenty of water to go around, you know, uh, uh, like being a part of the community equally as you want as, as a consumer, as a listener and as a performer, it can't just be one thing. I mean, like for some people, it can't be one thing if they're not a performer, you know, like, yeah. And well, there, there are some people who are really a part of the community who don't perform at all. And it's right. like they, they will support you over and over and over and come to everything. Oh. And like you'll, you're trying to get a friend to come who like plays and also does them on a night off. I'm like, oh, man, sorry, I can't make it. And you're like, what? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, sometimes like you've probably seen this with your band. Like you have some maybe younger folks that they're like, oh, so-and-so came out. And then like their first possible second, they ask you to sit in. And it's the first time they come to see your group. And it's a kind of awkward moment there where like they're, they're there for their own personal gain rather than, you know, rather than just like being a member of the community. So I think like just thinking about that bigger picture, I think that's important for, uh, for the young ones, the 18 year olds, like you said, to, to be thinking about, about that. Cause it's going to, it will end up paying off and you just, just the whole thing's going to be a more robust, rich experience. You know, yeah, you- I mean, like the the some of the things that you were talking about, like the repertoire, like even going out for repertory big bands and and playing in those types of ensembles, the the payment is not only like even think of it in what not what you're just giving to the community, but the stuff that you get that's not monetary. Like if if it's not just having the experience of reading all this music that you're not listening to off the bat, like that you get to discover, but just like being able to sit on a bandstand and listen to someone else play this music authentically with experience. Uh, well, the first time I played on a bandstand with Kent Engelhart, my old saxophone teacher, and just like listen to him just play, not like as a lesson. I was just like, oh my gosh, this is great. Like, this is what I want to be able to do. And then listening to other people who are in the same community that you had no idea existed. Like, that's all part of like being a part of the community. It's just... I don't know, existing in it and not just existing in your corner of it. It's like, did you go to the party if you just stayed in your corner? You know? Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it reminds me of uh, t- talking again about uh, guests that we had at Slippery Rock and little sound bites uh, that I remember. I remember I could take you to the spot on I-79 where Antonio Hart said to me, "Oh, um, I just said something like, I appreciate you doing this gig. I know the, the bread was maybe a little on the on the light side for what maybe you're used to. And he interrupted me. He's like, man, that money is is only part of the pay for coming and doing these things. He said, you know, I didn't do this gig. I wouldn't have I wouldn't be friends with you now. I wouldn't have had the opportunity to meet and influence your students. Um post pandemic, like getting out of New York. And he's like, man, the 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 check is only part of the pay. And I was like, hmm. That is one dude who like has to have a bajillion words of wisdom. Oh that, God, he's the best man. He's the best. Yeah, was was that just last year or like the year before? I can't that remember. was spring of twenty two. 
Yeah, yeah. So like last year, yeah. I goes, like, man. Yeah. But oh gosh, Antonio Hart. Oh, yeah. ah, sometimes I'm like, why didn't I go to Queens College? I could have like, <laughs> I could have studied with that man. Um, for uh, this was a very musical conversation. We ba- we didn't get into like really anything that wasn't like. So what do you do in your personal time? Quick fire round for Jason Kush while we wrap up. What right, are some yeah. things outside of music that you enjoy doing for people that don't know anything about you? Um, I'm big into traveling. Uh, traveling with my family. Um, I, w- when I have the freedom of, of mind, my wife and I are just like thinking about like where we're going next, what we're going to do mm-hmm. next. Um, so that's, that is the big thing. Um, I also like going to, I like history and I like uh, the, I like national parks. I like uh, natural formations and the the beauty of the earth Yeah, um, is, is, really a thing for me. So like our, our perfect voc- vacation is vacation or travel or whatever you want to call it, um, would be somewhere that's, that combines like some history with just like, you know, the beauty of nature. Um, oh, so, so like Italy was great. <laughs> Italy was great. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, one of the places I really, I really want to get to Austria, um, and Ooh. see, and see the Alps and see, you know, some of those old towns and, uh, that, that would be perfect for me. But yeah, um, around here, um, if you asked my kids or my wife, like if I had a day off all of a sudden cancel gig or something, I'm like, I would probably be, uh, at, at McConnell's mill, taking a hike there, uh, up at Marine state park, uh, doing some hiking. I really enjoy I'm not like, I don't have all the hiker gear, but I'm like, I love being a day. Like a Sam Blakesley level hiker. I actually, Sam and I, we should, we should connect for some hiking. I probably don't have like all the gear and stuff, but I'm, I'm down for an eight hour hike, man. All right. Well, yeah. this is, shout out to our first podcast guest, Sam Blakesley. <laughs> we we got to get you guys on a hike together for people who want to uh, find out more about you, your music, the educational programs that you run. Um, where can they find you online? Yeah. So I'm pretty active on Instagram. Um, so that's just Jason Cush music. And then I'm also on Facebook too. Um, Right now I have a, just one Facebook page, which I've been thinking about peeling off to like a personal and then another, but I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very much, some of my close friends call me jazz dad. They, they just, <laughs> I'm not Jason. I'm not Kush. I'm just jazz dad. And that's, that pretty much wraps up my life. If I'm not, you know, playing jazz music, teaching, then I'm like with my wife and my kids and we're having a good time or I'm just trying to make sure they're set up for a good life. That sounds uh, like a beautiful so. life. Yeah, so uh, yeah, you can find, find me on Facebook. Also, my website, uh, jasoncush.com. Cool. Well, uh, Jason, I really appreciate like the the past hour talking with you and getting to know more about you and your, our, our our back and forth. Uh, when you were like, I want to hear your thoughts. I was like, oh, wow, that doesn't really happen. Uh, this is supposed <laughs> to be very one-sided. Um, yeah, but I appreciate you coming on the co- podcast and to get to talk to you about music this whole time uh, and just to like see your face and your smile and to yeah, hear man. your voice is always great. Oh, uh, likewise. Well, for everyone else at home um, who listened to this, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, You can listen to our back catalog and find it on anywhere you find your podcast. Uh, Until next time, stay safe and stay musical. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Extra Musical. Extra Musical is a Hidden Cinema Records production. Please be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you get your podcasts and look out for future episodes. Bye for now.